0: one Jacob Murphy to win it Oh, no, just put no, no, it in net
1: no. And how do you put statistics on this, Phil? Oh, Levitated by the human touch Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass Antonio's true chance of four, what a goal What a brilliant strike by McCain Antonio Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown podcast. I am joined by the Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland to my Toby Maguire. It's Callum Goodall and Jack Elderton. How are we doing, gents? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh,
0: that was one of your better ones, I'll give you that.
1: That was a subtle youth
0: joke, <laughs> That
1: one's was really good. Um, unsurprisingly, this week we will be looking at that Arsenal game, um, the 0-0 Burnley. Looking forward to the games we've got coming up over the Christmas period. And a little bit of a quick transfer talk, as we always do. Um, I'll start off by reminding you where you can get in touch with us if you'd like to. All correspondence can be sent to either the email address, which I've got working now, just so you're all up to date on my email. Podcast at KUMB.com. I say I've got working. Thank you, Graham. Uh, It's also the forum, Fred, at KUMB.com. And you can tweet the boss who will pass it on, I assume, anyway at least, at KUMB.com, as ever, all words, no punctuation. Um, so Arsenal, that was a, a frustrating game, kind of, I should say.
0: To put it lightly, yeah. It was painful to watch uh, for most of it for various reasons. Um, the, the team frustrated me. And then, obviously, when you weren't being frustrated by the team, you were being frustrated by the match officials, who just really, really were the salt in the wound uh, throughout.
1: It was certainly a, a weekend of controversial decisions that's f- flowed on to the midweek, where certain teams seem to be getting favoured. Uh, initial initial thoughts before we go in, de- in depth, Jack? Uh, my head's not gone
2: watching a football match like that um, since uh, the Suchek red card against Fulham. Uh, yes. That's the last time I can remember my head going that bad. I
1: completely lost my head
2: in the last 30 minutes. Of the I mean, anyone
1: who's seen my, my Twitter feed last night will, have, will agree that so so went mine. I'm sure a couple of my friends, at least one who supports Arsenal, will listen in today, ready to feel the sieve coming <laughs> off me. And I got it on WhatsApp and I, I stand by everything I said. Um, I, I mean, it's an interesting one. I've got you get across the forum, across across Twitter, it's fans disgusted, kind of put off football by what they saw last night. And I I mean I, I you two are the kind of the brains of this. I can be the emotional fan, I suppose. They were a horrible, horrible unit of players. It was a horrible team from the second one. That, I mean Tien he's never elbowed in the face. He goes down pretending he is. He gets foul booked doing so. You don't, I mean, people don't care about those ones, but the reason you care is because later on in the game, the punishment is told. I mean, Arsenal surrounded a referee who was very, very weak to it, hadn't pulled out a yellow card yet before he was surrounded and went and had a peek down at Tierney, who was perfectly fine afterwards. It was an arm across the chest. It happens. And it was, I mean, this is where I will will fall down on this sometimes is you have to, the reason these, these players are encouraged to do this is because referees let them do it and, it, it was clearly going to work for Arsenal last night because they got given the encouragement by a very weak referee who allowed them to do it. Um, yeah, and that was it just turned into an awful game of football. You, you come away from at the end thinking, well, we lost, but at least we don't play like that.
0: Yeah, I think as well, one of the most frustrating things was there was, I think, maybe two occasions where I think maybe one might have been four now's rolling around a bit and Antonio rolled around a bit. And it was almost as if like we were like, all right, sod it, we're going to just try it. But we got no luck from it. It's no. like, we were like, no. okay, well, when we roll around, we don't get anything. But if no. they roll around, he's... I know it's part, partly the home crowd getting on top of him and stuff. Um, and probably that has a plays a factor in it. But um, it was just frustrating that we we almost r- decided, right, we're going to stoop to their level. It didn't work. And thankfully, we, we kind of nipped that in the bud and didn't carry on trying <laughs> to be petulant.
1: The only time it did work was when Suchek, and he may have been slightly pulled. He <laughs> him. And I, won't, I, don't, I usually get really annoyed watching a West Ham player dive. But actually, at that point, I thought, no, we're going to have to mix it up and do mm. it as well. I do wonder whether we, uh, we miss a, a Mark Noble, a Kevin Nolan in there, Jack, who will who, who go over and say, right, we've got to change. We've got to be more cynical. We've got to be more smart, in inverted commas. We had to find a way to be more cynical in
2: that game. Arsenal were and 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 I'm fine with using this term, it's cheating. It's it's total gamesmanship, right? Um pressuring the ref from, from minute one, like you say, the ref never had any control of the game, um, which is incredibly disappointing, even just from a neutral perspective. As a referee, when you're being put under that much pressure, you have to exert some control back, book someone or have a talk, you know, talk to the captain, just do something about it, don't just cave. For 25 minutes and allowed... Oh, to I wonder, he probably
0: didn't know who to talk to for Arsenal, did he? No, I know, yeah, probably. I did, he did, <laughs> I really I did notice he had to... a
2: very brief word with Lacazette and pointed to the captain's armband on yeah. his arm, but didn't follow it up in any way when they continued to do to the same thing afterwards. And a couple of things on what we've just talked about, uh, Tierney isn't elbowed in the face, it's an arm across um, the body, like you say, but uh, Fornaus is elbowed in the face by Gabriel. It's an accident, but it's an elbow yeah. in the face. It actually connects with his face and uh, party does elbow Antonio in the face. Again, I think that's a foul by Antonio on party, but the elbow does connect with his face, unlike the Tierney challenge. So if you're going to book uh, Sue foul for not elbowing Tierney in the face, then I do think you have to then go and book Gabriel and Party for elbowing Fornells and Antonio.
1: Really, don't book any of them. The first yellow is ridiculous, it's just completely mm-hmm. weak refereeing. I th- I think it cost us obviously it cost us with the the yellow card for the penalty. I think it cost up in the builders with the goal as well I think Soufal possibly tries to make a challenge has he not been booked I think it cost us in the momentum of the game they really got on top of us and if we if we take away the emotional side which we kind of kind of have to do to analyze how we play it was that momentum they had and the kind of ferocity of the way they went at us in our defense that I mean you you've just watched the game back uh, Jack and you've had a kind of live tweeting about it Us under pressure at the back clearly was an issue yesterday. Uh,
2: Massively. Uh, Probably our biggest issue throughout. I mean, Antonio was a separate thing and that was a huge problem for us throughout the game and has been across a number of our games recently. But um, this backup, back four, who can certainly defend and defend the box really, really well and did so throughout much of this game, they can't pass. I don't think there's one of them. Um and I, and I like Sufal. I've I've advocated for Sufal to return to the team, but even him under pressure um he he just he just panics. Um so on both sides of the back back four you've got uh fullbacks who aren't particularly. I mean Maswaki is meant to be someone who's comfortable uh, against the press and is press resistant. But again here showed no um level of security in possession and was very very um it's it's sort of even more frustrating with Masuako in a way because his first decision sometimes is quite good he can take a touch to relieve some of the pressure but then he takes no care of the ball after that so his pass is inaccurate there's no de- um, attention paid to details like speed of pass or angle of pass or which foot you're passing to so pass it to someone's strong foot rather than their weak foot these are things he just simply disregards once he beats his man often with a nice little touch to get away from the first bit of pressure Diop Completely different kettle of fish. This man just like runs away screaming when someone runs at him. Um, So just (laughs) literally wanted to punt the ball as far as he could upfield every time anyone ran anywhere near him. And then the problem with this is if you're going to do that, like, go on, get some welly on it. Get it 60 yards up the pitch. Don't welly it and it only goes 30. He's not even clearing our own half every time he's trying to clear the ball upfield. He's not getting it anywhere near Antonio to give him a chance to run onto anything. And again, when you're hitting Antonio, really, do you want to be hitting Antonio for him to to, to challenge an aerial duel? Or do you want to put it over the top of the defence and give him something to run at and allow us to push up with, up the pitch and press the opposition? More the latter. But every time Diop went long, he's, he's hitting the halfway line, if he's lucky, which isn't getting us anywhere.
1: He did, he did look to be kind of floating of all in rather than sometimes. I mean, sometimes, again, it's, it's, it must just be a, 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 a game sense that sometimes you have to just see what hasn't worked and change what you do. Granted, your first instruction or your first idea may have been we've got to try and get some possession. I can't play into midfield at the moment for whatever reason. I will ask about that. But so maybe I have to change it up. Granted, some of that will be down to Antonio, whose touch last night was... At his poorest, I think and there mm-hmm. was I mean he is, he's an inconsistent footballer at times. He's always has been, even when he's good, but but it it feels worse when he's playing badly, doesn't it, Cal?
0: Yeah, it was it's been infuriating for a while now, as uh, much of the fan base will attest to. I think Twitter has been awash with uh, pretty strong criticism of him and rightly so, you know, like it's well. One thing that really annoys me on West Ham Twitter particularly is just how like if, if someone's had like a good spell or has ever done anything good for West Ham, you then cannot criticise them ever. And like people are like, you have to stand through them through thick and thin. It's like, no, I can like Antonio as a guy and re- respect what he's done for the club. And yes, he had a great start to the season. But if you don't call them out when they're crap, then they're going to think that it's acceptable. And I think that's also part of the problem is that there is no pressure on him to perform well because he's not going to get dropped because Moyes has no choice but to play him unless you start playing like people that aren't actually strikers, which, I mean, that's not going to, I think we probably should, but it's not going to rub off well for Antonio, is he if he gets dropped from the starting 11 for someone who's not even playing in their favorite position, like what's that going to do for morale? But yeah, it was just dreadful. His passing was woeful yesterday Um 25% was it in the first half, Jack, he said. Yeah. And then I think 50% across the whole of the game, which is, I mean, we've called out his passing metrics before on the podcast, but um that is a new a, a new low uh, for the whole season. So it just seems to be going from bad to worse. And I think I've not done it, but I'm sure if we plotted it on a sort of line graph, I, I think you would see a gradual decline of it just getting worse and worse, which is then like begs the question of at what point do you drop him? Because if it's a trend, then it would suggest that the next game is going to be even worse. Do you remember in primary school when you used to play with those neon shoot balls uh, that were played? (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) It just looked like every time the ball went to Antonio, someone had switched the ball out for one of those because it's just bouncing miles off.
1: The man needs a rest more than anything else. I mean, he's he looked tired in the burning game. He's looked tired lately. I think that's a big, big problem with our squad composition is obviously that there's no there's no option that will help him it's not just pressure on his place is it there's no there's no right you really need ninety or you need a couple of games maybe where we work on some basics or do mm. something just get your mindset back get some energy into your legs this and it, we'll we'll talk about december this is a very difficult period and we do have a small squad but then tactically i don't think anyone else really picked up the slack yesterday in that game jack i don't know if you look at the was that the midfield, for example, one of their poorer games? or? I think
2: the midfield too really struggled. Um, Suchek and Rice. I, I do think the three ahead were all right. I don't think we had such big issues with, or I, I didn't certainly when I watched it the second time with fornell 's uh, Lanzini or Bowen. Um, and certainly not fornells and Lanzini. I th- thought both of those um, were quite good and, and were involved in, in most of our best moments um, at the other end of the pitch and actually contributed quite a lot defensively as well. Um, I felt more so one of the things that Arsenal did very well in the first 20, 25 minutes was um, Odegaard basically held hands with, with Rice and and stayed with him wherever he went. And I think the effect that had is probably the first time I've seen this happen to Rice is, is when receiving the ball, just, just playing a first time pass back where it's come from, rather than having the willingness and the confidence to turn in possession um, to, to receive and, and maybe take on his man. I think, The intensity of the Arsenal press and how close Odegaard was to him actually um, made Rice shrink a little bit. And that's the first time I've seen him do that um, in a long, long time under pressure. Um, And he completely drifted out of the game. Um, after that and then when you look at the way our midfield is composed a lot of people will then go and blame Suchek and say well Suchek didn't pass the ball forwards what's the point you know of having a defensive midfielder who can't pass etc etc. Suchek's numbers this season uh, continue to be a, a big improvement on, on last season there's a 7% uptick in, in his short passing a 6% uptick in his medium passing he's getting better um, as a progressive
1: awesome good yesterday.
2: <laughs> yeah he's getting better yeah. as a progressive player, and actually. Uh, out of the two of them, if you're looking at who passed the ball well into the final third and picked out nice switches of play, picked out sharp forward passes into one of the, front, uh, one of the three behind Antonio, you're looking at Suchek as that guy. Um, and I think it's a little bit unfair that when these situations happen, when Rice is really meant to be the main play driver out of those two, um, that when he fades out of games, we just simply look at Suchek and say, well, he's got to do more. That's not his job. Um, and I do yeah. think he did a, a reasonable job of trying to pick up some of the slack um, from Rice in the first half. Who, um, yeah, I, I probably his, that, that 45 minutes, the first 45 minutes, probably his worst this season. Uh, uh, and, and probably the worst I've seen in a long time from
1: him. It, was, it wasn't he was kind of the only one I felt. I suppose if we look at the first half, look at the major threats. It was Saka on who felt like a lot of what was going on. Um, yeah, well,
2: they we definitely, just,
1: targeted her, her yeah, definitely targeted our left side. Yeah, they definitely targeted left side. I suppose the question is what we did to what we did to solve that, and and what was Maswaku up to the task? Because he's, I mean, this is his what, second game in the Premier League at left back for us for quite a long time. It looked like for a while Moyes would rather play anyone there. <laughs> Maswaku he now has very little choice but to either play well, it's Maswaku or, or youngsters um, had it. How do you think Masuaku stood up to the task then? Because I mean, he's getting a lot, of, a lot of criticism for. It f- feels like almost because of who he is more than what actually the realism and what happened, Jack. I think he did quite
2: a good job in the first half, um, coming under a lot of pressure. Um, I actually think, as a last line unit, the defence did really well across the board. Really, certainly um, the three uh, Dawson, Diop, and Masuaku so far may be a little bit more questionable, but. The three of um, the players who actually don't regularly play and and three non-first teamers, I thought, did quite well um, defensively uh, in the first half. In in possession, a completely different thing, Um, but out of possession, quite a good job. The second half, a lot more issues um, with Masuaku. Um, a couple of really poorly... I mean, this is something that he used to do, really poorly judged pressures, uh, where he's charging up to try and get onto something that he's never getting to, uh, committing to things a little bit early and allowing himself to be dribbled past. Um really insecure post-tackle, which can be one of the most frustrating things to watch as a football fan when you're, when one of your players wins a tackle really well and then completely takes their eye off the ball and then gets tackled straight away after they've won it. Um, so these things didn't weren't such big issues in the first 45 minutes. But I think if you look at the uh, 11, 10, 11 players and then 10 players that played after Soufal's Su- red card, if I'm going to pick out someone who suffered most in terms of frustration and who let, Um, the kind of tide of the game and the momentum going against us, get to them and start to undermine what they were doing. Well, I think Maswell was probably the worst culprit of that. Um, Just started to look a a little bit rash in all of his decision-making as you would if you're you're starting to get really, really frustrated. So first half, not not bad. I think good. I think he's been harshly criticised. I think he dealt well with an an immense amount of pressure that Arsenal exerted down that side. But second half... um, some really major issues beginning to creep in, and slightly towards the end, very poor. Is
1: there anything that stood out to you, Callum, either watching or in the numbers that you think contributed to what was a not, not a not great display overall, realistically?
0: Um, from Masuaku?
1: He, no, just, from, from across the board just generally. I mean, if you've got Masuaku, that's perfect <laughs> well,
0: yeah. Well, <laughs> while we're on it, um, no, yeah, no. Well, on on Masuwaki, just to like kind of reaffirm the idea that he was targeted. Uh, so across his his career but um more so this season he generally averages about eight defensive jewels per 90 that he's involved in usually wins about 50 uh yesterday he was involved in 19 defensive jewels which is like more than double so clearly they were channeling it down that side uh and he still won 58 percent of them which i mean you you want your left back to be winning more than that obviously but we know that Masuaku isn't the best defender. So it wasn't as though it was like a subpar performance. I think he pretty much maintained the same level of performance, if not slightly better than we're used to, over a much more engaged um, match. Like he was engaged in the game way more than he would normally be asked to be. And generally, you'd probably expect a drop-off, particularly if they're not used to being involved in so much defending. You'd think there'd come a point where... Um, and we did start to see it towards the end of the second half, definitely but um, I would expect his percentage to be way worse given that he was involved in so much more activity and it just wasn't. So yeah, I, I completely agree that I think it wasn't obviously he was his best performance, but um, it was of the level that we've come to expect from Masuaki now, I think. Um, and yeah, just generally team numbers wise, um, there wasn't a great deal. One thing that I just get frustrated with at the minute is our complete like, there's no consistency in our pressing from game to game. And I get that you have to try and change to certain oppositions and stuff, but like the fluctuation in um, PPDA, so passes per defensive action is like really marked. And if you look at some of our best performances across the season, um, it's when we've had really good um, PPDA numbers. So uh, for example, I think we're probably all an agreement that um, Aston Villa was our, probably our best performance of the season so far. And I think we had 5.3 passes per defensive action, which is extremely low. So we were on top of them for the whole game. And that's reflected in the scoreline. Like we absolutely blew them away. Uh, some of our other ones, we pressed really well against Chelsea. Um, who else? We Yeah, some of our Europa League games, we pressed really well. And I guess that's to do with the strength of the opposition but and then you see in our poorer performances we just completely drop off like with against arsenal almost 15 so that's a drop off threefold than the villa game so i would just like to see more consistency because the proof is in the numbers the pressing does work our best performances there is a clear correlation between the pressing metrics so i i get that when you come up against stronger opposition it might be more difficult, but then that's disproven because we pressed really well against Chelsea and got our rewards because we won the game. It's just frustrating to see. Um, obviously, I'm not a manager. There's definitely some thought into it. Maybe there's a bit of fear. And I guess when you go down to 10 men, you can't press as aggressively. But I would just like to see more pressing from the front, I think, would be my main takeaway numbers-wise. I don't know what you guys think.
1: I just wonder if that's is that something because the the manager feels we can't maintain, especially at the moment, especially in December and especially with injuries and fatigue that whether that's part of it i mean i i thought that we looked very tired against burnley and was worried about this game on that instance um but then some of fresh, we we've actually got fresher legs up there i suppose equ- arguably jack you four nails has had a couple of rests lately lanzini's relatively fresh into playing these 90 minutes um i don't know is that is is that change to lanzini worked for you so far
2: well no not in terms of results but i think he's no. playing well um, I think you know there's two separate things there. Individually, I think he's performing well. Whether it's benefiting the team as a whole, I don't really know uh, because the results aren't there and we're not scoring. So it's 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 hard to to really say that his positive individual performances are helping us as a team. I again, this is a a, a repeating issue in terms of who we pick at ten. You've got options with more dynamism than Lanzini, but less accuracy. And you've got Lanzini there as someone who's who's not going to lose the ball. He lost it once in the entire game against Arsenal. I think Cal said. Um, that so, um, yeah, keeps the ball really well, but but perhaps isn't going to hit the box um, with the same speed or intensity as 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 other players we have might do. Um, I I personally think just on on the pressing discussion, I think there's a, there's a couple of issues here. I, I I do think we came to play against Arsenal. I don't think we came to sit 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 back. I think it was actually just a wise decision from the players on the pitch. And sometimes you need to be able to recognise. Arsenal are pressing us really intensely. We're not playing very well. We can defend our last line extremely well. We've shown that before. Um, so we can drop in here and, and hold on to this nil-nil. And I think we did a really good job of that up to halftime. I think the the awkward moment comes almost when they go in at halftime. And and I think there's some frustration there from the coaching staff of, of why have you allowed Arsenal to impose their game on us so much? Go out and impose yourselves on them and, you know, trying to readjust back to a higher press um in the first five minutes of the second half was an absolute catastrophe
1: Uh, that's that's where i was gonna i was gonna ask you know on the goal what is it happened it looked to me like we'd slightly changed formation is that formational change maybe getting caught, caught cold it could obviously be all of these is it just having tried to push up to try something new we've immediately got caught and it's it's looked worse than it is i don't know
2: I think you look at the last five minutes of the first half, and you're looking at a team that's playing a low block and clinging on for dear life. I mean, we're ch- charging around, flying into, lo- you know, uh, into blocks on literally on the last line in the six-yard box. People are flying across the box, throwing their body in the way. Mainly Dawson, who, I mean, was absolutely incredible in the first half. I mean, the amount of last-line tackles, uh, two on Lacazette, two unbelievable blocks. Um, the score could have been three or four nil at half time if it wasn't for Dawson and also a brilliant save from Fabianski, but particularly Dawson was was amazing. So if you if you look at the way we're playing, the, you've, you've just come off the pitch, barely clinging on. Everyone's in the box. It's a, everyone's putting in as much effort as possible to cling to that nil nil. And then suddenly you go out second half and it's a clear intention from the coaching staff to go and play much more of a 4-4-2 mid to high press. So now the gaps are massive. So you've just gone from being bunched up very close together in your own box to now man to man, spread out massive gaps across the whole pitch, looking to try and get close to people. And there was this horrible period for, for five, 10 minutes where we had no rhythm in, in playing that kind of way at all. So actually with the goal, it's quite funny because just prior to the goal, Antonio does really well. You can see the intention has been set out, going and press. So he goes and chases something down. And resets Arsenal, and then it comes back the second time, and you can see the cognitive processing when you watch it back. You can see him backing off as he would have done it in the last ten minutes of the first half, realizing that's the wrong thing to do, and then rebalancing himself, turning around, and trying to run forwards to chase the ball at that point. Lanzini's in completely the wrong space to be able to cover a forward option, so you 've got two players who are now over eager because actually what we 've started with first player that's how you defend, remember what the first player does always sets how you defend. So the first instinct is to drop. So everyone begins to drop. And then Antonio realises that's not what I'm meant to be doing. So goes out to charge forward. Lanzini goes, Rice-Suchek goes. Suddenly there's massive, massive, massive gaps. And you get probably one of the easiest looking goals of the whole season where it's just pass into Lacazette, pass into Martinelli, goal. And that's just huge, huge gaps from lack of rhythm in the in the way in which you want to play, Um and perhaps I, I would suggest a little bit of naivety from, from the coaching staff. I would have said, let's stick with a low block. Let's work on our counter-attack. We're defending our last line really well. Let's work on what we do when we get the ball now, rather than trying to re-establish a completely different style that we'd not really done very well out in the first 10 minutes of the game um, and that we had no rhythm in whatsoever.
1: And on, on the goal, I think on Twitter you'd mentioned gaps between... It was Rice and Suchek that concerned you on it. Because oh, my, my initial concern was Dawson. And I've seen other people who blame Souffal for letting Martinez drift.
2: For me, neither of the defenders are at fault. Uh, for, for me, the, cl- the clear and most obvious thing is that Lacazette has dropped off the forward line and come into a space where he's, there is an absolute mile between Rice and Suchek, which you can't have. Your two central midfielders cannot be that far apart on the pitch. The ball is, is very far wide left. You're in, already in the half space with, with Gabriel on the ball in their half. In the half space. So, what is Rice doing almost in the half space on the other side of the pitch?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You need to be in the middle because Suchek's going to be able to cover across anything that comes onto the flank. That's what he's there to do to make a three on two to force him to go back. Where why is Rice all the way on the other side of the pitch? You need to be coming across and helping your fellow central midfielder out. And the other thing is communication. We don't get to hear that. But whether whether Dawson and Diop have been shouting, Lacazette's dropped off, someone needs to go and get get onto him. I don't know. So, you know, either a centre-back has to come out and be with him, a midfielder needs to be with him. You cannot have the opposition, number nine, standing with about 15 yards around it. I don't 10 yards, that's probably exaggerated there, but 10 yards in a circle around him to be able to receive the ball and play a pass forward. I think at the point at which Lacazette receives the ball, you cannot complain about anything the defenders do because there's nothing you can do at, at that point. Martinez has got a clean run to get inside to and Dawson. He's much quicker. That's just, you know, if you're asking Dawson to have the same amount of pace as Martinelli, then you're asking for something <laughs> impossible to,
1: to pass that, that underlines naivety, I guess, because we, we, we may almost, it's like we've come out to play as if we had Zuma and Ogbonna in that team. And forgetting that actually we had Dawson, who was phenomenal in the first half defending his box, and in the second half was quite bad at defending outside of his box. Precisely
2: this. This is the point I'm trying to make is that there's a level of naivety and not looking at it and saying, hey, you know what? The score's still nil-nil. Yeah. We've just been battered there, but the score's nil-nil. Let's focus on a really dug-in away performance now rather than saying, oh, we're top four West Ham, let's go
1: and play Arsenal.
0: Yeah,
1: We weren't playing yeah. Arsenal. We were getting battered. I suppose, mm. I suppose the other, the, I suppose the flip side of that is, as a manager, how long, how long do you let your team survive? And we were surviving by the end of that on... Craig Dawson always getting there just before Arsenal scored, which is a, a I, I would guess a riskier approach as well. I no, mean, you, if you... you change things, you change things, you drop rice in, in
2: possession, you drop rice deeper and, and put him between the goalkeeper and the two center backs and split them wider and say, well, now you've got an extra option. So you are not not always punting the ball forward at, so so quickly you push the fullbacks much higher and wider to get to allow the two playing either side of Antonio to get closer to him. So when the ball's cannoning off him every time he gets it, there's someone there to pick up the loose pieces. There are several things you can do systemically there that that work within the structure you've got established by the players on the pitch that's helping us get keep to a nil-nil that aren't completely throwing that out the window and then asking them to do something that they
1: weren't coping with. Did, did it work having four now's nails- seemingly more central for the most part of the first half and Lanzini is the wide left man yes can you, under, you understand why, why do you understand that because to me Fournows has been very very good defending a fullback throughout his West Ham career and Lanzini uh-huh. is very very good at keeping the ball under pressure in the centre of the pitch so on my, my, my first I mean it's a very very layman's basic look is if you take those two attributes and you think why has that happened perception of pressing
2: Okay. Is, is the main is the main reason uh, for now's understanding of when to join Antonio in a two and to to press in the four four two shape and when to drop because the two midfielders are too far apart and to cut off passes into the centre of the pitch is far better than Lanzini's evidenced by the first goal because Lanzini doesn't spot. The fact that the two central midfielders are too far apart and stays in the 4 4 2 shape. If you watch the first half again, you'll see how many times Fournals goes between playing as a striker in the press and playing um, as a shielding attacking midfielder, blocking up any balls into Lacazette, flat, straight balls through the middle of the pitch. That's why he was in there. Um, and the decision to, to switch that in the second half is for more security and possession, right? It's because Lanzini was by far the best passer of the ball on the pitch in our team. So it's, a, it's to say Lanzini can drop in and form a three there and to give us a, bit, a little bit more security on the ball. But it ignores what Fornells was doing defensively really well for us.
1: It in terms of the attack, an attack that I'm now trying to think if ever threatened in any way at any point during the game, realistically, other than Fornells is great. Sure. I mean, is, are we just looking at the fact that if, if Antonio is playing that badly, it's hard for everyone else to function.
0: Pretty much, yeah, because we're a team at the minute that is entirely dependent on Antonio because we don't have another option, so we don't have another way to play, really. Um, That's the the long and short of it, is that he has to be on form because he is the spearhead of, of every attacking movement that we have, whether it's carrying the ball up the pitch or expected to take in long balls and lay them off, which I think evidence would suggest that that is probably ineffective because his passing is dead and his touch is dead at the minute. So, but we're almost flogging a dead horse with that. Um, but oh, we,
1: the other, yeah. thing, other thing I was going to ask is Antonio, it looks to me, moves out to the right wing before the red card, and then after the red card, he's just playing the whole right channel himself for a while. Yeah, I mean, how are you on Bowen up there? As I mean, is that. It looked to me as well that the problem with Antonio being out there is you don't get a standard wing play. So he's going to ping balls in where you are in, kind of imbalanced and not very obvious decisions. And is it is there any point if you've got Bowen up there? Granted, Suchek was starting to almost play
0: as a simple. Hit the box player. a bit, yeah. Um, yeah, well, one thing that I thought was hilarious on Twitter was that everyone was bemoaning Antonio having a go at him for coming out wide so much as though it wasn't just a tactical decision. Like He'd clearly been asked to play the right channel. Whether you agree with that or not, it was a tactical decision. It wasn't, as much as I question his positional awareness at times, it wasn't that he'd just... Oh, been drifting out wide, yeah. like he, that was. He had been assigned that task. It would um,
1: be, it would be funny because at that point it would have been. Also, that Bowen had just gone. I'm sick of this. Then I'll play. Yeah. I'll and <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if professional footballers very well, but I doubt they just go. Well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do this, and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, not yeah. so much. No, um, yeah, it was. I, I don't know. I think you obviously lose a lot by. Well, I don't know if you do actually by moving Antonio out from the front line because he wasn't really offering anything. Um, and I think we, we're at a point where we kind of had to roll the dice and, um, that, that was probably the right decision. But I just think we probably left Antonio on the pitch for too long. Like it, if you're going to take your striker out of striker and play him at right back, you might as well just bring on some, someone else. Like, cause there's no reason for him to be on the pitch. And Ashby came on and, and, he, he looked far better at right back than Antonio had done for the limited amount of minutes he was there. So ultimately, I think you probably, your hand has already been forced because you've you've gone down to 10 men. And if you're going to roll the dice, you might, you might as well do it properly kind of thing. And I think we looked quite effective when we had um, the two up top, to be honest. Um, and when we reverted to having Antonio back up top, it, it just, it kind of fell apart. I mean, there wasn't much to fall. Uh, to be honest, we weren't doing that great, but it was certainly more effective having the three midfielders and the two strikers than it was reverting to some sort of 4-4-1-1 four, yeah. four, one, one kind of situation.
1: I'll, I'll come to the tactics on that, but we haven't. We should discuss pe- penalty or not. I suppose is the question to you two. I mean, <laughs> Martin Keown. He's really angry at anyone on Twitter who would criticise him not realising that he at, at half-time said Arsenal just need to get the first goal then they'll get the others and forgets that he's meant to be a non-biased pundit. But then Moise has come out and said soft but the right decision. Uh, I disagree. Um, Callum, penalty? I no?
0: think... I, in the heat of the moment, I was very much not a penalty at all. Um, and whilst I think it's still pretty dubious and I really don't think it should have been second yellow regardless I do think that whilst he got the ball he did also follow through a lot and was out of control and did go over the ball and if it was probably anywhere else on the pitch I know it's such a cliche but if it happens anywhere else on the pitch it's probably a foul and it it's probably true but I yeah it was soft I get though that I think you have to expect more from Sufa there. Like, it's not, he arrived in good time and he's just not done a good tackle that, that really was quite an easy, easy, um, opportunity to win the ball. He was there. He just had to poke it out. And unfortunately, he just got his technique wrong for me. And he's, as Moy said, he's asking the ref to make a decision. And when you put yourself in a position where you're, where there's some sort of, um, uncertainty, it's, generally going to go against you, and especially when you're playing against that Arsenal team with all those fans on top of the ref who's already having a stinking game. It was always going to be given, unfortunately. What do you think, Jack? It's an Arsenal penalty, isn't it? I mean, that's just what it is. It's not a West Ham penalty.
2: It's not a (laughs) Brighton penalty. It's not a Wolves penalty. It's not a Norwich penalty. It's an Arsenal penalty. Um, I can understand why it's a penalty but again it's an arsenal penalty i just you know it's infuriating i've had enough of watching games where none of the other teams in the premier league other than the top 6 get ever get given these decisions yeah <laughs> any of these marginal calls nearly always come down the other way and i think that's the right way to ref the game personally if there's a bit of if you're unsure don't give it he's not sure he stands there for about 3 seconds before he points to the spot don't give it you wouldn't give it if it was anyone else
0: mm-hmm.
1: give it because it's I, my my interest on that is so I, it's, it's very prescient Rory smith said on the monday night club penalties of, from 2003 they've it was one in every six games it's now one in every three games a penalty is given he's talking about threshold and i think you look at that and i don't think in a sunday league game he, not These aren't his words, mine. I don't think a Sunday league game you'd expect that to be given. Now, I know it's a, it's a kind of fallacy, and it's a, an argument, but you should go back to what you think football fans think penalties are because generally they, they, there's a reason football fans think certain things. Yeah. I mean, there's conspiracy and stuff. And on a simple game, you look and go, well, he's got the ball, he's tackled. I think his shin hits Lacazette. And I think if that mm. had been his studs and his foot, my decision is very different because I think he's, he's dangerous at that point. I don't think you're dangerous because I think you have to accept there will be contact sometimes in tackles. Yeah. And it, if he'd done that with his toe and just flicked it out of the way and then followed through, you'd look, it's a really good last gas tackle because he's just got a touch to it. So you, I don't see how the, the window for the decision changes because if you get your shin to, I, I completely understand Moyes' frustration. Actually the tackle was quite achievable. And it's a little bit of a panic from Souffal that then means he delays and makes a worse tackle. But the opportunity, it just seems it's very, very easy now for for players to win penalties on things that, realistically, I don't think you get given by a a standard referee. And those are the rules of the game.
0: Well, the theatrics helped, didn't they, as well? Because like Jack's rightly said, he's he's not given the penalty until he then has a peek round to see if Lacazette's all right. Sees that he's... Doing up Tom Daly on the six yard box, and then he's gone, Oh, actually, he must be hurt. So therefore, that means it must have been a bad tackle. As no, if almost, there's a correlation there. This is
2: what I mean. Is you can almost see the fucking thought process, which is that, well, that was untidy, but the ball's gone. Oh look, Lacazette's really hurt, Penn. Like that yeah, is yeah. that is and it drives me mad because Maybe you say with West Ham, we've got to be a little bit cuter. We've just got to start rolling around on the floor a lot to get more penalties. And maybe that's, that's what it is. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe we're all being ludicrous by saying this is top six bias. Um, maybe it's just that the top six are a little bit um, cuter on those margins.
1: Um, and... I, do, I, I do think we need to do something. I thought there was a few occasions in the game where we were fouled and we stayed on our feet and we didn't get a foul. Was if we'd made a fuss, we'd have got a foul. Yeah, and I think there are and I think there's a little there's, I think there's a, a level I would actually like us to go to a bit more where we do occasionally do that. I just don't want to, I don't really want to see us diving either. I don't I mean Lacazette it looked like his leg had been broken, then he got up and took a, a quite firmly hit, if not particularly well <laughs> <Yeah>. penalty. <playing Sinelton. laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, but the, oh, oh, the key issue here, the penalty is a dubious decision. You can give it, you can't yeah. give it. I don't. I mean, that's fine. The thing is the yellow card. I just don't. I just cannot wrap my head around why he's given a second yellow there because he's he's got the ball. There's a slight issue with the challenge. I assume he's giving the yellow card because he's the last man and he feels backed into a corner because he's given the penalty, so he has to give the
1: yellow card. So just use your head. It's not a yellow. It's never a yellow. Mm-hmm. That just very sorry for no. two fouls he made in that game, and they were both given the yellow cards. I don't think either of the yellow cards are, you could argue maybe if he'd made one in the first half, he could have gone well, that's an accumulation in the second, but it's not even, yeah. I just, you can't, and you can't, you can't uh review those, they can't be rescinded. That's nope. we will go into our next game if it goes on at the weekend, um, with a whole back four that is not first choice, in fact. If you then take Johnson's, probably left back first, second choice over Maswaku. He's probably right back second choice. Fredericks is probably right back first, th- third yeah. choice. Ashby's coming in. We are down to kind of what would be a maybe our 10th option if we had a defence. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: And yeah, it's the kind of thing that I don't know. I, mean, I don't I don't know why VAR... VAA may work very well, but look, we can't overrule it. But there's obviously a level of question. Why not have a look? I don't know why the ref doesn't stop and have a look before you no, think This so is the thing. other
2: thing. This is the other thing. It's a pitch-side monitor thing if it's a top-six team. 110%. I could almost guarantee you <clears> if that <throat> happens against a top-six side, then it's a pitch-side monitor review. Every time that goes to, to a review. It, it, and it just doesn't for, for for teams that are lower down the table or teams smaller teams. It just never happens.
0: Well, that's yeah. That's almost the most annoying things. That's over the course of the weekend, we saw some seriously dubious penalties that did go to VAR and still got given. Yeah, exactly. Where where, it's just such a mess. Like, I I think that's
2: yeah. The key thing from a West Ham perspective, the frustration is 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 all the dubious penalties um, at the weekend. Dawson's perhaps is the most obvious one out of all of them if you're looking for a penalty and I still don't think Dawson's one is a penalty but if mm. you're comparing all of them against each other then Dawson's is the one that's most likely a penalty that's not given the rest are and then you get to the Arsenal game and if you compare the Dawson one with the Soufal one oh, yeah. I mean that's just the Dawson's penalty is 10 times more of a penalty than the Soufal on Lacazette one so
1: after the Red we change a system. We're actually quite brave. We actually don't we don't try and protect a one 0 I don't know if I mean I don't know if that helps because Fabianski makes a fantastic save as well. So we're still in the game. Nothing to lose Jack. But we 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 went out to try and get the goal.
2: Yeah and I actually think uh with ten men we played really well. Uh I I, I genuinely think that period of the game went pretty well. The 4-3-2 uh that we went to or 4-3-1-1 was really really nice. Uh, it caused Arsenal a lot of problems. I think Antonio uh, did a relatively reasonable job of playing the entire right flank on his own. Um, he creates one really, really, really good chance by dribbling past this man and uh, uh, firing a low cross into Bowen. Um, if Bowen keeps his head there, he, he pops it back into Lanzini, who has got acres of space um, inside the box, probably about 15 yards out to, to shoot with no one... You know, able to get out to him and press him. So I, I'm not going to say that that would be a goal, but it would be an extremely good chance for a goal. Instead, Bowen's five yards in front of the near post and tries to somehow whip that into the, into the near post <laughs> space. I don't know how he thinks he's ever scoring that. Um, but yeah, Antonio creates that chance uh, through his brilliant work down the, down the right side, and and I think there are a number of promising openings that we created with that with that system um again let down by final ball again let down by decision making uh, when it comes to that last pass um i think Fornals did a really good job of playing as a third central midfielder um and every time i see him do it i start wondering why we don't see more of that um we're having issues in build-up we're having issues in keeping hold of the ball the midfield's not doing a great job of progressing it and then Fornals goes in there when we have 10 men and does a really good job so what would have happened if we'd done it when we had 11 Mm men Um, so yeah um, I think he did really well in there Rice does a fantastic job um, at marshalling the whole central space on his own Um, Suchek becomes really useful in the box um, uh, getting up despite um, the gaps that that's going to expose at the back Um, so yeah I think that whole whole period of the game went really well right up until he decided to take Antonio and put him straight back up front and we went to a 4-4-1 and conceded immediately again, and I think the two times we've conceded goals in the game, I don't think you can blame Moise for this. I, I I I do understand the reasons why he's changed system both times, but but that we've we've conceded within less than five minutes after a system change both times. Um, so there has to be some questions asked about. Uh, whether they were the right decisions and whether the the players we've got can do the things that he's asking them to do. Um, I don't think Ben Rama did a very good job when he came on. I hadn't, I couldn't understand uh, really why Ben Rama came on. I thought if you're going to play someone close to a striker, uh, Bowen's going to be up there. Then why is Vlasic not coming on? I don't really understand what the point in buying him is. If you don't bring him on in that situation, Um, Ashby did great when he came on. I think that's the other thing that's worth mentioning. Um, offered himself as a really great option down the right-hand side. Um, and, yeah, had Suchek been able to see him... I know this was at 2-0 after the the Arsenal second, which comes from some ridiculously lax play in possession from ben Rama again. Um, but if Suchek gets his head up, then Ashby's got uh, a massive amount of space on the right side um, and is pretty much their own goal. Uh, but instead, Suchek shapes the shoot and gets fouled by party just before he does it. Um yeah, so, so so some really positive things uh, with 10 men. And, and the main takeaways maybe from that are that we look quite secure with three as a flat three in midfield. And yeah. we uh, also can handle playing with someone else up front that's not Antonio. Bowen did a good job up there. Uh, mm-hmm. much better job than Antonio had been doing for the whole game. Uh, so, you know, this kind of sense that there's nothing else we can do, despite plug away with the same 11 that isn't getting results at the moment. I disagree. Uh, yeah. One light, one player light forced us to change the system and then we were in a game against Arsenal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree with the, the takeaway of a three-man midfield being an option we should really explore, uh, even with 11 players on the pitch. And I think it's twofold as well in the sense that, A, it gave us way more control over the midfield. But I also think it can give us an option in build-up in the sense that if you look at the numbers... When we've played um, a back three uh, with Diot, uh, Dawson, Zuma, the number of long passes that they take, or about one per game, whereas yesterday, Diop had nine, and that's basically because he doesn't have an extra centre-back there as an option to offload that ball to, and then bring the midfield back into the game to build up from the back. He's so unconfident by what he's surrounded by that he instead decides to just kick it into touch, basically, all the way up the pitch, and then give them possession back, because Antonio can't take it under control and and recycle the ball. Whereas if we play three in midfield, you have Rice, who can then essentially drop in and play as that third centre-back in build-up, uh, gives Diop or Dawson an option to go short and then we've got our basically the best progressor of the ball in the team there on the ball who can then look ahead of him to either Nows or Lanzini or Suchek and then the build-up players suddenly become far more of an option than just having to kick it long and I would imagine if there's any player in the team that, do, that any player is happy to pass it to under pressure it's probably Rice because he's by and far and away the best player in the team and I would imagine that everyone agrees with that so they'd be more than happy to pass the responsibility of ball progression onto him and we've seen that he can do it so I think it's it's not a <laughs> it just seems so obvious to, to try that it, particularly in the position we're in because we don't even have we can't even play three centre backs at the minute because we don't have three fit centre backs of first team quality so I'm sure Moyes would probably be thinking about playing a back five if he could with wing backs and three centre backs but He's come out and said we'd lose a lot in midfield if we play Rice as a starting centre back. But you don't have to because you can play three midfielders, but he can drop in as and when it needs to be, and then can can have three men in midfield when we need that. And it just seems an obvious not necessarily a fix, but something we should at least try. There's no guarantee that it would fix the problem, but it's better than trying to persist with a second well, half second string unit that can't do the things that the first team can do why not try something different? It seems the obvious antidote to a clear problem. And just lastly on this, before we move on, uh...
2: What adds to, to, the, to the case really is the fact that we've got a lot of players who are flexible between playing on the left and at 10, um, which means you can play a 4-3-3, but you can also play a midfield diamond uh, with really the same 11 diamond. players on the pitch. And, and Antonio is really struggling, so you can put Bowen close to him as a striker and then Benram or Vlasic would be entirely comfortable playing that 10-roll behind and then filtering out to the left and Bowen coming to the right when we're defending. So you have all the same security of a 4-5-1 when you're defending, um, or a four, four, two, because four can go out and, and you, you, basically you have exactly the same defensive setup, but you are, allow yourself to play with two up front and Boeing can be close to Fantonio, which you'd imagine would help him quite a lot. Um, and you give yourself the three, three in build up as well. Um, so yeah, it, it does seem a bit blindingly obvious at the moment.
1: Because it, it feels, I mean, I, I'm, I've got a mild inclination that I'd quite like to even put Kral in there and give Rice some more freedom because he arguably was our best attacking player against Burnley. But I think that's probably going a little too far with the personnel we have. I, I do do yeah, want to say with yeah. breaking news is that we are not playing this Saturday. The new oh, game has been, Norwich have called for a postponement and that game has been called off. One of many, I think, because I think Everton's game at the weekend whoever they are playing against has also been called that's actually Um,
2: great news for us i was going to say in terms of fitness it's brilliant
1: (laughs) yeah it's everton leicester it's 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 it's, yeah because we've got that league cup game which i'd imagine the league cup game goes ahead because tottenham were trying to play the leicester game i think it was leicester who go um but it gives us a bit of rest I, i mean tottenham i think have come out of it quite well but it's not anyone can do anything really about it i yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those things that's going to have to be kept an eye on over the next few days because if there's going to be this many games cancelled, there may be a wholesale set of cancellations coming soon and a break. Yeah. Um, but it's, that's more than we can pontificate on right now I don't <laughs> think we quite have... I don't have any influence in the, park, the uh, corridors of power within the Premier League. I don't I know have if football analysis. Call. I don't uh, have
2: COVID analysis. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's just,
1: just not my... I mean, Jurgen Klopp's the best voice of that at the moment. So then we come to the nil nil with Burnley. So that's two Premier League games in a row we haven't scored. There were it was an odd game, the Burnley game, in a game where which we were kind of the dominant team, but weren't, we weren't highly threatening. We dealt with most of what Burnley could throw at us, but it also felt like by the end of it, you say a nil nil was a fair result, Callum? Kind of.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um as they say, it's a game of two halves. First half we were poor. Second half we were dominant. I thought. Um, so based on that very shallow analysis, I think a draw has to be. Has Good to be, numbers yeah, work, mate.
1: That's 50/50 yeah. Well done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> has to be seen as a fair result. It was. Yeah, we just lacked any cutting edge in the final third, really, and we just I, we didn't really ever look like scoring I didn't feel anyway um we were close enough around the edge to score but I just there was never a moment where I thought oh it's coming in because I just didn't have any confidence that it would happen unfortunately that was just the way the day went
1: um it's funny for me the the only time I did feel actually like we really broke anywhere and looked like we might do something was with Ben Rama who was also maybe his most frustrating he's almost most frustrating he's ever been for us it was a game in which he caused problems that he then solved for Burnley himself by making awful choices. Um, And we we discussed this uh, days prior, me and you, Jack, where uh, me almost feeling like you keep on the chaos because there was something, at least something happening. But actually as a manager, you'd rightfully say, you you look at him and think, well, every time he gets in those positions, he's not producing. So I can't keep him on. And that is certainly where the, where he, where it fell with Moyes in that game. But other than, other than that, it was Rice. It was a game where Rice could have won and the game that maybe Declan Rice deserved to win and the other 10 players deserved to draw.
2: Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. Declan Rice's second half, probably the best 45 minutes we've seen from anyone all season. Um, j- just ridiculous. The amount of uh, wonderful uh, progressive runs, dribbles into the box, uh Balls into the box, um, passes between the lines, everything and anything you'd want from a defensive midfielder and more, really. Um, so I mean he was remarkable briefly on Ben Rama, I, I completely understand the point of um he's getting into the right areas and therefore you you leave him on. Um the the issue is like you say, he's not producing, but really this this repeating issue now of and I've looked at it on my Twitter um i posted some videos um that that kind of show exactly this 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 repeating problem that he's having which is receiving on his right foot in situations where he can drive on the outside um and you know to, to to make yourself difficult to defend against as a winger if you always do exactly the same thing when you receive the ball in space it becomes really easy for the opposition fullback so in the example I posted on Twitter, it's almost remarkable how Lotan can slow down before Ben Rama's received the ball, despite being in a 1v1 with a player quicker than him, because he knows that Ben Rama's going to dribble inside and run straight at him where he is, rather than force him to do something he's uncomfortable doing. So, in terms of Ben Rama looking in the long term and how he's going to progress his game and how he's going to keep his place um, in the team, Show a little bit more flexibility, show a little bit more willingness to, to ask people to do things they're uncomfortable doing. Don't just try and do the one thing you know how to do well, because people are, are anti-stratting you. <laughs> people know how <laughs> to stop you from doing that, quite obviously. So, yeah, taking uh, players on the outside is something he's going to have to learn to do and learn to do quickly if he wants to, to keep his place in the team. Um, and actually, the one moment he did it, it was the best moment he had all game, uh, Is that little turn. Uh, which was great, Yeah. Um. And, and took him down the outside. And the fact that he did it, look how shocked they are. They're all out of position <laughs> because they're like, oh, fuck, what's he doing now? <laughs> he never does that. So he, he has to show a little bit more flexibility in what he does. And actually, in that example, that, that brings us back to kind of Antonio at the moment. And that was pretty ridiculous. Um, I, was, sort of I was running I was in so the cover angry. shadow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so angry watching that. If you're watching a man stand still, and it, kind of, it, he stands still for quite a long time, actually, and demands a pass that, I mean, you know, Ben Rama physically can't make. It's just yeah. the, 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 and it's not just that he stands still, because you, I can understand, oh, I'm the cutback option. But it's that the he, it's an impossible pass, and he doesn't do the really obvious and the striker move you have to do. If Ben Rama is given an option to play that across goal, it's such in, a anyway, better percentage, yeah. pool, isn't it? It doesn't matter if he gets it right, to not extent. He can fire that across and get it wrong and it can go in. It can...
2: Well, Antonio denied himself two tap-ins in the game. And, and there were both when we got overloads on the left side. Uh, one was with Ben Ramer in that chance. And the other one was Masawaku got away down the left another time. Uh, and all he's got to do is he, actually in front uh, of Charlie Taylor. And all he's got to do is stay in front of Charlie Taylor and he has a tap-in. And for some unfathomable reason... He just, he, he shifts his body position because he can feel the pressure coming from behind. Let's Charlie Taylor run across him. He actually turns his shoulder out to allow the player to come across him. Okay. And then the cross comes in and Charlie Taylor clears it away and sort of turns around and goes, cheers, thanks for okay. that. I've got no idea because all he had to do was get his, keep his shoulder in front and he's got to tap it.
1: It's, it's almost as if you find a player whose success has come from how brilliantly he was coached in Ben Rama, arguably, and he got coached to be very, very good at Brentford. And maybe you've got quite the opposite there, who's Antonio, who seems to have been almost uncoachable, has, has come across as a very natural talent. And he gets, you know, heralded for that in the same way Jamie Vardy does. But he hasn't got the basics to then run across goal or stop someone doing that because he doesn't know his position. The thing is, is he did have the basics. I mean, I remember that game
2: where he scored four against Norwich. And that was that, the, the fourth in that game where he gets across two defenders and demands a pass from Fredericks and, and, and taps it in at the near post. That's a brilliant striker's goal. So he knows how to do it. He's just lost it. I don't know where it's gone for him, but he's just completely failing at all the, like you say, the most basic things you need to do as a striker.
1: It's because all of his decisions are his decisions, I guess. And if he's making, the, he's in a bad run of form, he's continuously making the wrong decisions <laughs> I suppose it's, it's hard to it's hard to argue with I mean other things I thought to take from the game and other things I thought to take re- recently would be that it looks like we are shifting at times David Moyes has fought is an option at the moment I don't know whether that is coming from I thought that for came we came in in the Chelsea game I think it came in in the European game so it looked like it did again towards the end of Burnley all about Bowen getting close to Antonio I would guess which is we are now looking to fix, we've talked about embedded problems, an embedded problem that is our, main, our, only stri- our only striker. We're having to fix a problem around him, which is, I suppose, an absolutely ridiculous scenario to be in when you could just not play him, I guess, Callum.
0: Yeah, I think it's coming to that point now as well, where it's, it is, I think, more and more people are of the opinion that maybe there is now a point where he does just have to get dropped. Um and I think it it comes follows on from the point of us saying that he seems to have just lost his natural instinct and like you say it's if it's kind of almost muscle memory and he's continually doing all this bad stuff he's it's only going to become a habit, and you need to drop him so that he can almost like a shot to the system and and get it out and focus on training him on the training ground and this is how you used to do things, this is what you should be doing, and then come back with a fresh approach and who knows? But we don't have that luxury at the minute because we don't. We just don't have the alternatives, um, which is rubbish. But I think, yeah, you're right to flag up the two up top thing. I think sometimes it can look like we're playing two up top when really we're just pressing with two. And then in attack, we fall back to just having the normal shape. Um, but it has become more common. We have seen Bowen kind of partnering Antonio. And whilst I don't think it's worked as effectively as we might hope, largely just because of the poor form of Antonio it does excite me a little bit looking forward uh, thinking that we might explore the possibility of playing with two strikers when we bring in another one or maybe two eventually by the summer strikers because that would add a whole different option if things aren't working we can we can rather than just say heck let's let's try two up top with a a winger and an out of form striker we will then at some point in theory be able to go. Hey, it's not working. Let's go two up top with hopefully a more in form Antonio and an actual striker, and that is an exciting possibility. I mean, it's very much silver linings after a bad week, but hey, we've got we've got to sprinkle some positivity in there. Uh, and I think some of the, the names, yeah, some of the names that have come up as well, kind of lean towards that as as being something the recruitment department have been maybe assigned as a task to look at is a striker who could possibly partner in Antonio or someone of that ilk, like the, the Cabral's the more physical, like dominant, basically who you can, who you can imagine a partnership working well with kind of thing. Um, is something that I've noticed anyway. Um 4-2-2,
1: two thing i i should go to you as more and more i, I hate saying it it's really annoying um, and my as I'm, my formation guru my tactical match i mean i don't know if that might just be something i look Callum's was really putting out it's just a press thing and i'm not really paying attention once that presents um, or not <laughs> um, or at least is it looking like a viable option if it is there uh
2: there's um there's obviously a, somewhat a keenness to to explore an option where there's two up front. I, I'm not sure whether a 4 four triple two 2 2 is the right way to approach that. It's something that we've seen. Um, I I would go back to what we've just talked about and say that adding an extra body into midfield um, probably enables you to do that a little bit more. Whether we have the personnel to play more of a 4-4-2 four, four, or 4 triple 2 I'm not entirely certain. Um, And, you know, it depends how much defensive security you leave behind. So I think kind of only applicable in in some games. But uh, the instinct to get someone closer to Antonio is correct um, at the moment because of the lack of fixes further back. I would um, at this point kind of point everyone back in the direction of construction is the key problem here. Um, Look at Antonio's form. And look at when we've lost Dog Bonner and then look at when we've lost Cresswell and map the two things together. And you'll see the reasons why these things are happening. So still for me, as much as it might infuriate everyone, I would prioritise looking at a left centre back and getting Cresswell back fit or getting a left back who can play like Cresswell in over getting another striker. Because the striker we've got is very, very good when he's playing in the system that works for him. And at the moment, there isn't a striker in the world that's going to perform remarkably well when you're literally punting the ball aimlessly forwards every five <laughs> minutes. They don't exist. I don't care who you put up there. They're not going to be able to work miracles, get on the ball, spin, beat two players, and then score a goal. That player doesn't exist, and it certainly do not exist at West Ham's level. So fixing the issues in construction to allow us to approach the final third with more consistency is, a, is, a, is more of an issue and a more pressing issue to get Right. Um, and then you look at games like the Burnley game and say, well, our decision making in the final third isn't good enough there. And then maybe we do need an alternative option, a striker that's a little bit better in the box, more of a poacher who, who can help us more in games like that. Or you just look at it and say, put Jesse Lingard in that game and we win 3-0.
1: As, I mean, I was going just about to come to it. I said in my match report, I, I, I called Saeed ben I don't, I don't know if I brought this up earlier.
2: You did. <laughs> no, you did. Not in this podcast, but...
1: Not in this podcast. The walking, the walking advertisement for Jesse Lingard. And I thought that it looked... It's looked recently... I thought in the Arsenal game, actually, even more so, because whilst it was some decision-making Burnley... In Arsenal game, we needed someone who could actually get that ball and probably wouldn't have been concerned and could have countered. And I think there is... almost, Almost we need a player who's got the arrogance to say, no, I'm good enough to deal with this. It doesn't matter. And I don't know sometimes if some of our players just don't have that. I mean...
2: Without banging my head on the desk, that's why we brought Vlasic. So just bring him on for crying yeah. out loud. I mean, he's well, there to, to do a very similar job to the job that Lingard did. So why in a game like that, when you're playing 4-3-2 and countering and having some success, but it's being undermined by the fact that you don't have a dynamic 10 to play alongside your striker, why would you not bring on the most dynamic 10 <laughs> who's got the most ability at doing that thing to, to assist in that situation why would you go 4-4-1-1 bring on a player that loses the ball all the time and stick the one player who's playing really badly back up front I, it just it, mind-boggling decision so it
1: was, what what is what, what it's as good a time as any to bring up plastic Cause actually Cali was quite good against Burnley when he came on
0: yeah, yeah man he was brilliant <laughs> I, think, was, it's, I think it's, I'm it's, right it's, in saying <laughs> that he created more chances than or at least as many chances as the our best That's player the team on the pitch. yeah, exactly. So, and he did it in what twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes. Yeah. Just I don't, I, I don't get what more he has to do in the limited cameos that he's been given to be given more of an opportunity, if that makes sense. Like, like you say, his go, his Burnley performance was great, and it was like Jack's rightly pointed out. we it was so clear that that is the exact player we needed to bring on. And it's not even as though Moy shouldn't have the confidence because his previous time out, he was the best player in the team. So if anything, he should be getting given more time. And it it was just so infuriating. Um, But yeah, the Burnley game, he was definitely one bright spark. Um, His creation was great. Um, It was a positive decision to bring him on. It was exactly what the game needed. Um, We created yeah some chances that on oh, on another day would have been put away that i mean that last chance was um I think it was pretty much the last kick of the game where yeah Suche was
1: leaning back as much as he could possibly. yeah
0: that's it it was just uh, he it was had just
1: such a easy pass to bowen yeah such that... an
2: easy it's exactly the same thing both games watch them both side by side if you like against Arsenal it's cut back to him and he's got an easy 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 pass to Ashby to play him through on goal and against Burnley same thing it gets cut back to him and he's got a really easy pass uh, through to Bowen to to play Bowen through on goal both times he yeah. leans back and tries to take a shot that he's never ever scoring.
0: Do you think if um just before we carry on just quickly like if uh, it was Sufal in that position rather than Ashby if he was still on the pitch do you think he makes that pass because of the relationship between no. Suchek and Sufal? you don't no. think he just doesn't see it?
2: He just doesn't it's see not, it. He just yeah. doesn't see yeah. it. He's not got the the presence of mind in those situations. Yeah. And actually, if there's something that's a slight issue and a slight concern out of the last two games, is I've marked Suchek down for not being calm enough. I think four times over two and two in each game. So just some really like very weird. I was one in Arsenal that was really really weird, where Ashby plays the ball back to him. He's got loads of time and he 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 tries to just thump it away and yeah, misses yeah, the yeah. ball completely under yes, no pressure. Was a mess. And it's just like. What's going on with you? I don't, I don't, what's that all about? Why are you doing that? Um, So, yeah, there's been a couple of instances recently where, and I think maybe it's we're not scoring, we're not playing very well, there's a bit of pressure suddenly on, we were in the top four, Uh, what's going on? We're dropping out the top four, the teams behind us are starting to play really well, so suddenly there's this increased pressure. So when we're getting into the right situations, then it's not just Suchek. it'd be wrong to pick him out. It's Suchek, it's Ben Rama, it's Antonio, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Bowen, it's it's all of them um, that people are just making really rash and poor decisions.
1: And you 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 mentioned before we started, kind of in our little meeting, this is December, and last year December, I think we got we got one win, two draws, and two defeats. Or I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. If in fact when we win we capital, it's almost mirror. They're the saying yeah. we agree with Palace. At home, we yeah, drew away 0 yeah. nil at Southampton. We drew with Brighton, and those results have stayed the same this year. Granted, not all in the same month, but we we have a small squad, and I mean Moyes might like a small small squad; it might work for many things. But when it comes to these, it's awful period for footballers that will never change because of the money invested around the Christmas period. It it tells.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, I think we've. <sighs> It's been ex- it's been brilliant being in the top four, but one thing it has done, particularly for the fans, I, I guess less so to the players because they're professionals. But I think we've kind of been lured into this area where we're now considering ourselves as a top four team, and like we have a right to be there because we've done it on merit. But we don't have a squad to compete with the teams around us when you hit this part of the season where fixture congestion is an issue, and whereas the I don't know the cities and the liverpools can rotate with top quality players, we're having to bring in like youth players to make their debuts who are yeah they've done well but probably aren't ready to play consistently at this level of football definitely not some of them haven't even been out on loan so they've not even played senior football before and if you think the players that have come in the the diops uh the masuakus these are sort of artifacts of a a team from seasons ago where we were we were struggling to stay in the league and just about survived and then we've since replaced them and we've we've become this team that can kick it with the big boys at the top qualify for Europe and when you start to have to replace your starters with the the players that had played in a worse quality team you're gonna get as as we've said something in between that level and that's probably what we're performing at at the minute we're we're not winning every game, but really, before the mum started, if if you said, I probably would have predicted a lot of the results that we've got, rightly or wrongly, and it's probably about where I'd expect us to be. I don't think we're good enough at the minute. As much as West Ham fans would love to believe it, we are not a top-four team. We don't have the squad. We don't have the money to compete at that level. Yes, we've got some brilliant players. A lot of them are injured, this is just kind of the level we're at at the minute and i think it, it it's worth remembering because it's very easy after the start of the season we've had to to get on top of the players and be like this is not acceptable and yes rice came out and yes yesterday's performance was unacceptable it wasn't it wasn't good but i think we have to take a step back and look at it and be like actually do you know what we are still fifth we did excellently in the europa league we are still in the cup we've got to the quarter final we've we've beat most of the big teams, we've won local derbies, we've beat Spurs, we beat Chelsea. Like, I, yeah, there's a lot of positivity. I think it's worth remembering. I think
2: and these players got us there, so stick yeah. with them. We wouldn't be here mm-hmm. without them. You know, the the, the two things I pick up here are: uh, we're not Man City. You don't get two teams that are top six competitive. Wanting two teams that are top six competitive is ludicrous. It's not going to happen. So get over it. It's it's never gonna happen. You're never gonna be able to rotate, not on the budget we have. It's simple as that. You're not gonna be able to rotate top six competitive players into our team. Who who's the player we all want? Jesse Lingard, he can't get a game, can't buy a game at a team that are below us. Though the reason we are where we are is because we're doing incredibly well, but because teams who have much deeper pockets than ours are massively underachieving. And, And and the teams we're playing in this period if arsenal pick up a few injuries 80 million pound nicola pepe can come into the team <laughs> they can afford to deselect their captain on a disciplinary basis one of the one of the strikers with probably the biggest reputation and one of the biggest reputation players in the league these teams are massively underachieving and we've done amazingly to fill that gap but they can cope with this period It happens every year. The top six teams cope with December. December, for any team that's not in that club, who doesn't have 22 players who can compete at that level, points away, wins at home. We've won games at home and we got a point at Burnley. Granted, we didn't get a point at Arsenal. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Because when you go away to a top six team in December, those are the toughest games you get all season. So everyone keep your hair on. Let's keep winning games at home where we can. And, it, 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 you know, I would have said it's all about the Norwich game now. And if we win the game against Norwich, then I would say December's still going kind of as best as you could hope, really, as best as you can hope for, for a squad like ours um but yeah i think i think it's going fine i think you've got to look to january and look to re-energize it was exactly the same last season we ran out of steam this time of year we brought lingard in and then suddenly we looked like a new team um afterwards we went away to villa and then bang okay west ham are back so it's the same thing this year let's get through january let's let's get through december look to bring in some new faces in january look to freshen things up and get going again
1: i suppose the only the only frustration is that a couple of things that you would look at have happened to us, or things you would predict have happened in September, and We, and um, I mean, the summer and could have dealt with. So the Antonio issue, we were all waiting for an issue with his form and his tiredness to happen and his fitness. And it, it has happened. And I'd guess that's, for me, that's why I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm not frustrated in the way of dropping out of the top four, because actually I thought we'd finish this season about 10th to eight fish, because Europe was going to absolutely drag the life out of us. We've done really well to make sure it hasn't. But you I you could look at one of those issues and think well we could have solved that because if I can see it coming.
2: I think the thing that's distressed everyone really is that it's not been an Antonio injury it's been a, it's been a drop in in form. Um uh, yeah, of course there are things we could have done in in the summer. Of course we could have brought in a, a backup striker, maybe we could have pushed hard harder for for, for Jesse Lingard. But um I I I kind of hate saying this but you just don't get everything if you're West Ham you just you can't go into a into a season fully uh prepared without taking risks and really I'm a huge fan of the fact that the club is doing things sustainably at the moment I wouldn't want us to be, if we didn't have a player that we were happy with as a striker option, who were we looking at? Was it Enesiri and all all, all of these people? If we didn't have someone that we were happy spending 40 million quid on to be the next striker to partner Antonio, and we weren't entirely sure, and people go, oh, Moise is too slow and and all the rest of that. With with fifth, you know, I, I would prefer the fact that we didn't get a striker that we weren't sure on. Um, and we spend more time identifying the right player, then we go and splurge loads of money now. Potentially, it doesn't work out. And then we're back
1: in the relegation battle in two seasons. Does that hold if we then don't get a striker in January? Because at some point, yes. it's cause I, at some point long-term thinking, if you're missing short-term opportunity, you're hurting yourself long-term. The long-term thinking for me still remains.
2: Look at the first eleven. The priority is a long-term replacement for Og Bonner because of his age and because of his injury. A long-term replacement for Esmalt because of his age because of his fitness issues, and then a striker. A striker still isn't the top of the pile for me. It's just not. You've got not Antonio. Look, if if there's some look, we we me and Cal have talked about this a lot, and, and you'll see the work we're doing for for January in January. We've got a bunch of writing coming out on 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 the issues up front and, and recruitment up front. I think personally, the best thing that West Ham could do would be to, be to sign a short-term two-year option of someone who's happy to play second fiddle. I'm not looking for someone who's going to be the next Antonio. I'm looking for someone who can do a job at Arsenal away when, when Antonio's not in form or in the Burnley game. Antonio's not in form. Right, let's put someone like Ilas Bebu. Carl Tokowa can be. The, there are players out there who, who can come in who aren't going to be well beaters, who, but who would be available for sub-10 million, sub-15 million, and would do a job up front for us. I don't, I'm not looking for that marquee signing. And for me, it's not a priority. For the main, the main reason why it's not a priority is because there are players in the squad who should be able to do that. Yamalenko's mm-hmm. there. I don't like him very much, but he's there. Bowen's there. Vlasic is there. There are players, as Perkins in the under-21s, I know he shouldn't, he shouldn't be forced to be ready, but there are players there who can do that. So it's about the manager having the confidence to say, okay, he's not performing. Let's put someone else in up front. Mm-hmm. With left-back, there isn't anyone there. Because Masamaku yeah. is not good enough. And there isn't someone who can do what Cresswell does. With left-centre-half, there isn't a left-footed-centre-half there. That's much more of an issue for me. Much more of an issue.
1: Having discussed defenders, the biggest link this week, really, the standard are very confident on this. There's been at least two articles, maybe three in the week. Whereas other names... You'll be very happy, Jack, uh, Cal, even to see that Sunisi was linked by 90th minute. Uh, today. Was he? Yeah. Chee! Unfortunately, <laughs> their, 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 uh, their track record is about as good as mine in terms of his psychology <laughs> of football, um, which is very much if I Google his name plus West Ham, I might also find a link that someone yeah. <laughs> <it>. um, <laughs> But so, and at the standard, slightly different. They don't usually go big on things of their own unless they've got a bit of a feeling. Uh, so Nat Phillips, Nate Phillips, Nathaniel Phillips, around 10 to 15 million is your is your guy for this week, Cal.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it probably makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, it's not probably wouldn't be my first choice, um, but he's a competent defender who is wants to move, which I think is probably a big factor for Moyes because he wants to bring in players like Lingard last season who who really want to play football and and want to be part of something. And I think he ticks that box. Another box that he definitely ticks is that he's extremely good in the air, which I think that's probably the first thing Moyes noticed and was like, yep, we're interested in him. I think I'm right in thinking I've I've not looked at his numbers for this season because he's barely played, but he played over 2,000 minutes last year, and I think I'm right in saying that he completed the most aerial jewels per ninety across the whole of Europe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, I looked- saw sure
1: something like that the other day. Yeah,
0: I looked earlier, um, which I mean, you almost think that in a recruitment meeting, someone says that to Moyes and he's like, "Yeah, get yep. him in. S- six foot three, most aerial jewels one in Europe. He can do a job." Um, he's but yeah, no yeah that that's it that's it he's he is a right sided center back which uh, for me a left sided center back is more of a priority for the reasons we talked about the the lack of build up play um we have Dawson who yesterday proved that he can do a serviceable job defending the box and um left side is where we really are missing someone in a because we just can't can't play the ball out and um to be fair, I was quietly pleased. With Nat Phillips' passing metrics, I think he averages just shy of ninety percent pass completion rate last season. It's quite good on the ball. He's actually pretty good. Um, one who I was really surprised we've not been linked, but another Liverpool centre back, that Ben Davies guy they signed from Preston. He's, he's, he's like uh, the most progressive centre back in the world. He's ridiculous. <laughs> he's absolutely killing it in the Championship, um, which is yeah great for him. Um, but yeah, good in the air, surprisingly progressive. Um, which is obviously a nice addition. He's certainly a better passer than Craig Dawson. So one thing we always say is that if you bring someone in, it should be an improvement on someone else in the squad. Otherwise, what's the point in bringing them in? And if you're thinking, Craig Dawson, he's not young, he's decent, but he's not great. We've got Zuma, who's the first choice. And it it makes sense that Phillips kind of slots in above Dawson, below Zuma, and then when Dawson leaves, you've got Phillips as your backup right-sided centre-back, essentially. And I think he's happy to play that role, and he knows he's going to get minutes this season because of the size of the squad. Um, Yeah, so for me, I'd be be pretty happy if we saw him come in. He he really fits the mould of what Moyes likes, particularly if he goes... He has so much faith in Craig Dawson, probably more than anyone else in the fan base, and if that's what he wants... He's got a tune out of Dawson and Phillips is probably a better player. So it's kind of exciting to think about what he could get out of Phillips looking forward. And it's it's yeah, it's just the right profile. And if it doesn't work, you can probably sell him for a decent fee anyway. It's it's fine. It works all around for me, really.
2: But Moyes, I, I actually this is one of the areas where I just really trust Moyes. His 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 identification of centre backs throughout his uh, managerial career is, is has largely been really, really good. Um, and when he gets a team playing in, in that in that style that he he modelled with with Everton, um, he's generally had a, a set of four excellent centre backs to, to to choose between. I remember there are a lot of really great players at Everton: Jagielka, Distin, Lescott uh, Lescott was there for some time, Yobo was there. These were not all players who, who who arrived with huge reputations, but turned into really. Um, excellent Premier League centre back. So, if there's an area where I really trust Tom Manager it's on picking a centre back who can do a really yeah. good job in a Moyes team, um, so so yeah, Nat Phillips looks like one of those players. So uh, this is one that I'm quite pleased about.
1: Yeah, Pretty sure. I saw him brief turn in the box against Milan the other week and go between two players to play out of defence, and that puts him ahead of Craig Dawson in many ways. So yes.
2: <laughs> that's what I was saying. This guy, he like. He, He's he's underrated in terms of his on the ball ability. He's quite good on the ball. Where where I I have some concerns is is his uh, tackling on the ground. He's in in the air, brilliant on the ball, quite happy. I'm not 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 so certain about when he's getting dribbled out. How how good is he? Yeah,
0: sixty three percent defensive duel rate is not that great for your center half. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's why he doesn't play regularly for Liverpool. Yeah
1: folks for different folks. You'd be playing in a very different type of team, I guess. If you of <laughs> yeah. this exactly. halfway line, quite as often as he maybe is when you're playing for Liverpool. It is That's up- the reason
2: so- why Craig Dawson doesn't get asked to yeah. defend against people running at him very re- regularly?
1: Um, <laughs> yes. Well, if, I yeah. don't think
2: Matt Phillips would be asked to do that at West Ham. No, no,
1: it he, he, he has showed in that Arsenal game when Lacazette did that that trick that failed, uh, uh, that did uh, did for Dawson against Wolves the other day when the player moved the ball in a swing <laughs> different direction, and you took him out again. It was just another one of those things. Just well, if you're going to move the ball, then I'm just going to foul you. So <laughs> that is what I do. Oh uh, well, that's very much where we end on for that. Um, a frustrating week, but not. Not too many signs or not reasons to actually feel that fearful, some to feel ch- cheerful if you look across the metrics and across our form in general. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: That's what yeah. I <laughs> Yeah. 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 In well, I feel like a real West Sam. Yeah, after all. Um, so thank you for joining us until next time, which will be after Christmas. We're not previewing today because we've COVID. You've got Norwich off. We could have the Tottenham game off. I suspect we might even have the Boxing Day game off. We don't know. Um, so we will come back after Christmas period. So for those of you who celebrate, Merry Christmas and good night.
2: Right. So we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs>
0: I'm big knees up, Mother Brown man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm regularly on the general discussion page there's always someone's got some information so I love it, yeah, yeah. it's great
1: yes, it's excitement exciting. surrounded by imminent disappointment <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it
2: mostly is get on the forum at KUMB.com come on your irons